Good day and welcome to the Shake Shack fourth quarter 2022 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A brief question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the call over to Annalie Leggett, Senior Manager of Investor Relations and FPNA. Thank you. You may begin. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Joining me for Shake Shack's conference call is our CEO, Randy Garuti, and CFO, Katie Fogarty. During today's call, we will discuss non-GAAP financial measures, which we believe can be useful in evaluating our performance. The presentation of this additional information should not be considered in isolation or as a substitute for results prepared in accordance with GAAP. Reconciliations to comparable GAAP measures are available on our earnings release and financial details section of our shareholder letter. Some of today's statements may be forward-looking, and actual results may differ materially to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those discussed in our annual report on Form 10-K filed on February 18, 2022. Any forward-looking statements represent our views only as of today, and we assume no obligation to update any forward-looking statements if our views change. By now, you should have access to our fourth quarter 2022 shareholder letter, which can be found at investor.shakeshack.com in the quarterly results section or as an exhibit to our 8K for the quarter. I will now turn the call over to Randy. Thanks, Annalie. Good morning, everyone. 2022 was a year of continuous improvement in Shack formats and feel culinary innovation, and focused strategic planning for the exciting road we have ahead. We ended the year opening 69 shacks globally, growing our unit count by more than 18%, with system-wide sales expanding more than 22% year-over-year to a record $1.4 billion. Our total revenue grew over 21% to approximately $900 million, led by new openings and 7.8% same shack sales. We continue to build back our shack level operating profit margins to 17.4 for the year, exiting the year at 18.8% in the fourth quarter, all the while continuing to demonstrate the global appeal of our brand as we stand for something good in all that we do, elevating our teams and communities along the way. We ended the year with solid momentum in the fourth quarter, raising average weekly sales, expanding our margins, and investing with discipline on G&A and CapEx. Our performance was led by price and strong in-shack traffic growth, reaching $76,000 in average weekly sales and 5.1% same-shack sales. This momentum has carried into January, with total revenue up nearly 35%, including a 17% comp and double-digit traffic growth, as we lapped last year's heavy impact from Omicron. Our licensed business performed well in the fourth quarter, despite pressures from COVID-related disruptions in China and other regions. Some of that volatility in our China shacks has subsided in January, and we're cautiously optimistic that things can begin to level out towards a more normalized sales environment internationally this year. Our 18.8% shack level operating profit margin in the fourth quarter was supported by our October menu price increase, efficiencies in labor, and positive channel mix as more guests return in shack. Rest assured, though, that our work to build our profitability is far from done. We have a plan in place to continue this improvement in 2023. Given the uncertain economic backdrop, we expect conditions to remain challenging for some time. However, we're confident that we have the right strategic priorities and team in place across the company to navigate these pressures and set us up for solid long-term growth. We shared a lot of detail around our 23 strategic plan at the ICR conference in January. 
presentation and replay of which is available on our IR website. Today, I want to recap where we're focused this year. Our number one focus is on recruiting, rewarding, and retaining a winning team. Fielding an exceptional team is the key ingredient to operating efficient and successful shacks. <clears throat> we've not been immune to the staffing challenges the industry has faced, and we've doubled down on recruitment, retention, and training efforts. We've raised pay, expanded benefits, added tips, and enhanced access to the opportunities our team members have to advance in making Shake Shack a real career choice. Last year, we filled nearly 60% of operations leadership positions with internal candidates, a critical pipeline to meet our growth goals. 77% of our promotions were awarded to people of color and over 50% to women. While many shacks remain below their optimal staffing levels, we've seen marked improvement in hiring over the last few months. Now, let's remember that we opened 22 domestic company-operated shacks in the fourth quarter, so we're still in the midst of a lot of training and moving team members around to support new openings. We're expecting to have some additional costs running into the first quarter as we get to more optimal operations. We still have a lot of work to do, but we're incredibly proud of how the team is developing. Our second priority, keeping our relentless focus on the guest experience. Shake Shack has always been differentiated from traditional fast food, and we win by doing what most QSR and other restaurants are either unwilling or unable to do. Between collaborating with celebrity chefs for marquee events and LTOs, to partnering with media companies like Hot Ones, as well as brands like Maker's Mark for our bourbon bacon jam, we are continually learning how to better drive engagement with new and existing guests. This past week, we launched our White Truffle LTO, which includes the white truffle burger, a vegetarian option with the white truffle shroom, and Parmesan white truffle fries. This is a great example of something only Shake Shack can do, creating an elevated, affordable culinary experience. This will also be a big year for plant-based innovation. We plan to launch our non-dairy chocolate shake, as well as our new veggie shack burger, developed right here in our innovation kitchen in the West Village. It's an elevated and delicious alternative to the highly processed meatless offerings in the market today. It's packed with mushrooms, farro, quinoa, sweet potatoes, carrots, and more, topped with American cheese, crispy onions, pickles, and shack sauce. We think we've landed on a vegetarian option that's craveable, and we look forward to introducing it to a wired audience, <clears throat> wider audience to get feedback this year. We also plan to keep a rotating group of LTOs to drive frequency, and you'll see various tests on a number of new items through the year, including new packaging, caffeinated lemonades, mini shakes, and more. We're offering a better overall experience, committed to premium ingredients, and greeting our guests with genuine hospitality. This is our competitive advantage and our focus. When we do this well, we believe more people than ever will come. Our third priority, focused on development and how we grow from here. We believe our total addressable market globally continues to expand. We opened 36 domestic company-operated shacks in 2022. In the fourth quarter alone, we opened 22 restaurants in a balance of formats, including core shacks, small formats, and five new drive-thrus. While many of these shacks opened just weeks, and in some cases just days before the quarter ended, we're encouraged with the early results as they settle into 2023. In this coming year, we expect to open about 40 shacks, with roughly six of them in this first quarter. Having just opened a new drive through in Dublin, Ohio, and a core shack right here in New York City in Brooklyn's Bed-Stuy neighborhood. Currently, we have 24 shacks under construction. On drive through specifically, 
with 12 open today. We're encouraged by the initial reads and are targeting to nearly double that with our plans to open 10 to 15 more drive throughs this year. We know there's still much we have to learn and much to prove out as we've been rolling out a few different designs as well as kitchen flows so that we can optimize this investment for learning quickly and evolving the model for the long run. Our license shack business is the other key part of our development strategy. In 2022, our partners opened 33 licensed shacks, 20 of those in Asia, three in the Middle East region, two in Mexico, and eight in the United States in our airports, travel plazas, and event venues. This is an asset light way to grow our profitability over the long term. It speaks to the strength of our brand, which resonates globally across geographies and cultures. Very few, if any, restaurant companies at our scale have successfully grown with this level of excitement and brand acceptance around the globe. And you'll see us continue to build in existing markets while adding new markets in the future. This year, we expect our partners to open between 25 to 30 more licensed locations across formats and regions, with six to seven more in the first quarter. Nearly half of our openings we expect to be in Asia, including a launch in Thailand later this spring. We'll also unlock another format type, as we partner with the Atlantis in the Bahamas to open our first-ever resort hotel shack. We'll also test our first drive through in our licensed business with our partners Alshaya in Dubai. And lastly, we're spending a lot of time considering new countries, territories, and formats where we can grow this critical part of the shack opportunity for the long term. Our licensed business and partners remain an incredibly dynamic, profitable, and powerful way to keep expanding our presence and brand across the globe. Our fourth priority is improving our overall company profitability, with particular focus on our domestic company-operated shacks. We know the dynamics of the last few years have impacted our historical margin profile. We're focusing our work to rebuild over the long term. We're committed to improving profitability by driving sales, emphasizing our own higher margin channels, finding COGS, labor, and OPEX efficiencies, improving off-premise profitability, and utilizing strategic menu pricing. We showed margin progression in the fourth quarter, and we have the right plan in place. Leading with sales, our priority has to be to retain our winning team. We have to keep improving staffing levels so that we can optimize total hours and sales potential. Our big opportunity, especially in newer markets, is around building our brand strength. We've been testing various brand campaigns across media channels, investing in targeted performance marketing, and more than ever, building community marketing with our regional leaders, participating in and supporting more local events than ever. On the expense side, we've got an intense focus on every line of the P&L in our shacks. We're building teams to collaborate with our operators, designers, and suppliers to go after the profitability measures we can tackle this year. And Katie will talk more about these efforts in a bit. Finally, as we build an enduring company, we are committed to investing with discipline. We see growth opportunities with a strong return potential across development, digital, and our business overall. In the last few years, we made the critical decision to fortress our balance sheet with a historically low cost of capital. That's provided us with the dry powder to grow in this current environment, and we're committed to doing it with discipline while remaining aggressive. You'll see us continue to deploy capital towards strong returns in four main areas, building shacks, updating our current shacks, investing in our digital infrastructure, and structuring our home office capabilities to support our restaurants. We have historically outperformed our long-term AUV targets while delivering strong cash-on-cash returns. 
Over the last few years, with profitability under pressure and net build costs elevated, on average, our new shacks generated returns just below long-term targets. Building back our shack-level op profit margin, as well as addressing higher build costs, is the work to be done to bring us back to our longer-term return targets. The shack class of 22, average net build cost is tracking around $2.4 million. Inflationary pressures in the building and construction market worked against us last year, but we're also investing in a more expensive mix of shacks, with drive-throughs included. In 2023, we expect a similar build and cost mix as we target 10 to 15 drive-through shacks. We're addressing cost savings where we can for the class of 23 and beyond. We've tasked our operational and construction design teams to work towards bringing down long-term average cost to build for all formats. We're going to keep building shacks to win with focused and scalable designs and formats where we know we can drive strong returns over the long term. We've got the right plan and team in place for 23, and we'll keep you posted on progress as we go. With that, I'll hand it off to Katie to share more about the details of the quarter and expectations looking forward. Great. Thank you. So good morning. We ended the year on an optimistic note with increased momentum and evidence that our strategic priorities are the right ones to help build back our profitability and grow our long-term opportunity. We showed strong progress in the quarter with year-over-year measures of high teens revenue growth, 240 basis points of restaurant margin expansion, and over 55% growth in adjusted EBITDA. We executed on all of this despite facing labor availability pressures, supply chain challenges, high single-digit food and paper inflation, and many other pressures across our P&L. We delivered fourth quarter total revenue of $238.5 million, up 17.4% year-over-year. Shack sales also grew 17.4% to $229.9 million, and licensing revenue grew 16.6% to $8.6 million. We generated Shack-level operating profit margin of 18.8%, and grew adjusted EBITDA to $19.3 million. For the full year 2022, including the severe impacts that Omicron had on our sales and our profitability earlier in the year, we grew adjusted EBITDA by 25.8% to $70.5 million. In the fourth quarter, we reached $364.1 million in system-wide sales, and for the full year, we exceeded $1.4 billion with 436 total shacks including 69 new shacks opened in 2022 in the U.S. and abroad. In October, we raised our menu prices by mid to high single digits. This is across a varied strategy of between 2 to 10% across price tiers. This was needed to help address high single digit food and paper inflation and the continued investments we are making in our team members. With this, we expect to maintain a blended high single digit price across our channels in the first half of the year of 2023 as we'll roll off the March 2022 price increase of 3.5% menu and an additional 5% in third-party delivery premiums. In the fourth quarter, we generated $76,000 in average weekly sales, up from $73,000 in the third quarter. This was supported by price increases and in-check traffic. We grew same-check sales by 5.1% versus 2021. Our was down 90 basis points versus the prior year as we lapped a particularly strong 4Q21 traffic of up 18%. In-check traffic was positive as guests returned to more normal patterns. Price mix was 6% in the quarter, with the benefit of higher menu prices partially offset by a mixed headwind due to stronger in-check performance that skews to more single-order protein orders. We remain encouraged by the digital frequency and spend measures, even as more customers are going back to omni-channel experiences and coming back into our shacks. 
in the third in the fourth quarter, 36% of Shack sales were from our digital channels of app, web, and third-party delivery. And since March 2020, we have obtained 4.8 million digital first-time purchasers in our app and web channels. This is one reason we are focused on refining and optimizing all of our channels, leveraging many of our existing investments in our app, web, and kiosk to drive acquisition, frequency, and conversion. An example here is our digital work inside the shacks, where we are on target to roll out kiosks to nearly all domestic company-operated shacks by the end of the year. Kiosk remains our highest margin channel, and guests spend more on kiosk orders than on traditional in-check orders. In the fourth quarter, urban same-check sales grew 8%. This was a function of positive price mix and traffic growth. Suburban same-check sales grew 3% in the quarter, driven by positive price mix and modest traffic declines year over year. Going into January, return to work and overall mobility trends remained strong, and in some instances, improved. Our fourth quarter openings also performed well. We generated AWS of $72,000 and same-check sales of 17%, driven by increases in traffic and price. Now, while Omicron had the largest impact on our sales in January 22, our sales recovered throughout the first quarter, so we expect our comp to moderate throughout the remainder of the first quarter. In addition, we expect a number of the strong fourth quarter openings to see sales come back to more normalized levels in the coming months. Licensing sales in the fourth quarter were $134.1 million, up 13% year-over-year, and licensing revenue was $8.6 million. Strong holiday demand and travel benefited our licensed shacks. However, licensed sales saw significant impact from COVID pressures in China and pressures from the stronger U.S. dollar. In 2022, our licensed partners opened 33 new shacks, including 13 in the fourth quarter, bringing our net licensed shack count to 182 at the end of the year. Our licensed shack expansion is off to a strong start this year with six licensed shack openings quarter to date, and we expect to open a total of 25 to 30 licensed shacks in 2023. Fourth quarter shack level operating profit was 43.2 million or 18.8% of shack sales, 240 basis points higher versus last year, despite inflationary pressures across our Shack P&L. We achieved this with higher menu prices, strong sales performance, labor efficiencies, and positive channel mix. Our margin performance in the quarter really layers up to the four-point plan we have in place to show a more sustained improvement in our profitability. So first, it's about building back sales with a priority on our own channels as we are more profitable there and can better communicate with those guests. We are highly focused on driving sales in our shacks while at the same time building our digital guest footprint to support a true omni-channel guest experience. Second, it's on labor efficiencies, and our kiosk rollout here is one way to better utilize labor in our shacks. We continue to be encouraged by the strong returns on our investment for this strategy and how it allows our team members to better service our guests and manage manage through staffing pressures in select markets. Third, We're making progress on our off-premise profitability with more discipline on packaging standards for off-premise orders, as well as passing along a portion of the higher costs of delivery to our guests. And then last, we're taking a strategic approach to menu pricing, and we're pleased with the initial results of our October menu price raise. However, there is uncertainty around the inflation outlook. While we're not yet seeing beef inflation, it's certainly something that's been widely discussed. We hope that in 2023, we see food and paper inflation at the lower end or even below our current expectations. Yet, if we do not, we may take some targeted incremental pricing later this year to help protect our profitability. These four points are really the largest buckets which are moving the needle and how we expect to build back our margins in the coming years, but we're really looking at all line items here for efficiencies. And while we're pleased with our shack level operating profit margin progression in the fourth quarter, 
We know full well not every quarter will show linear improvement. However, we believe addressing our profitability is one of the right priorities for our home office and our operators. In the fourth quarter, food and paper costs were $67.9 million, or 29.5% of Shack sales, down 140 basis points quarter over quarter and down 150 basis points year over year, with benefits driven by menu price offset by high single-digit food and paper inflation. Beef costs declined by a low double-digit percent year-over-year. However, the costs of many other items in our basket were up sharply, led by dairy and fries, both of which were up over 25% in the quarter. Packaging was also up about 15% year-over-year. Labor and related expenses were $66.4 million, or 28.9% of shack sales, down from 29.6% in the fourth quarter of 2021 and down 50 basis points quarter-over-quarter. While staffing levels improve throughout the quarter, we still have an opportunity for further improvement in certain shacks, as well as increasing our overall throughput and efficiency with many of these newly hired team members. Other operating expenses were $34.1 million, or 14.8% of shack sales, down 10 basis points from the fourth quarter of 2021, benefiting from a lower delivery sales mix. We continue to face inflationary pressures and aspects needed to operate our in-check business, including energy, repair and maintenance costs, and costs to maintain our dining rooms, but we are focused on managing these expenses as much as possible. Occupancy and related expenses were $18.2 million, or 7.9% of shack sales, down 20 basis points from the fourth quarter, with this really driven by sales leverage. G&A was $31.8 million, or 13.3% of total revenue, up from 11.7% of total revenue in the prior quarter, driven by investments needed to support our growth across marketing, operations, and technology. We ended 2022 with $112 million in GNA, adjusted for legal settlements, up over 30% year-over-year. Pre-opening costs were $6.5 million in the quarter as we opened 22 new shacks. Depreciation was $19.2 million. On a gap basis, in the quarter we reported a pre-tax loss of $4.3 million and a tax expense of $6.8 million. On an adjusted pro forma basis, we reported a pre-tax loss of $4.2 million and a tax benefit of $1.6 million. Excluding the tax impact of stock-based compensation, our adjusted pro forma tax rate in the fourth quarter was 38.5%. These adjustments can be found on page 32 of the shareholder letter. We realized a net loss attributable to Shake Shack Inc. of $10.7 million, or a negative 27 $0.27 per share. On an adjusted pro forma basis, we reported a net loss of $2.6 million, or a negative $0.06 per fully exchanged and diluted share. Finally, our balance sheet is strong, and we ended the quarter with $311.2 million in cash and cash equivalents and marketable securities. Now, on to guidance for the first quarter and full year 2023 that does not assume any material changes in the macroeconomic conditions or further COVID disruptions. For the first quarter, stronger than expected GNA results and what we're seeing so far in February, this is inclusive of the performance from the recently opened shacks, gives us confidence to raise our guidance for shack sales to 232 million to 237 million and same shack sales to grow by high single digits percent year over year. Well, January results were far ahead of this range. Um, just as a reminder, our compares will get sequentially harder post mid-February as the Omicron impact subsided. We're also going to be lapping the 3.5% menu price and 5% delivery premium we took in March 2022, and we have no additional prices factored into our guidance today. 
We're seeing strong performance in our domestic and international license business, including a rebound in China since lifting the zero COVID policy and raised our guidance for the license revenue in the first quarter to $8.25 million to $8.75 million. We cannot be certain that this strength will persist throughout the quarter, and this guidance range does not assume any new COVID closures or pressures. So taken all together, we now expect total revenue of $240.25 million to $245.75 million, growing about 18 to 21% year over year. We guide first quarter shock level operating profit margin of 16 to 18%. We're tracking towards the mid to the lower point of this range, primarily due to the pressures from the heavy opening calendar at the end of the fourth quarter. It typically takes several months for a new shack to re, uh, reach normalized profitability as new teams and managers train and grow efficiencies. However, we're pleased with the sales that we're seeing for this group and expect that this pressure will subside in the coming quarters. In the first quarter, we're also planning for high single-digit year-over-year inflation in food and paper costs, with these pressures led by fries, dairy, and paper and packaging. We expect beef costs, and that's the largest part of our basket, to decline by mid-single digits year-over-year, but this will still be up by a low single-digit percent quarter-over-quarter. The inflationary outlook remains uncertain, and we do not contract on many of our key inputs. We expect mid- to high-single-digit inflation pressures across our food and paper basket for 2023. We outline more details um, around our inflation expectations on page 10 of the shareholder letter. We expect other operating expense as a percent of shack sales in the first quarter to be similar to the fourth quarter and to be impacted by changes in delivery mix and other variable drivers. With the macroeconomic uncertainties we face today, our 2023 GNA guidance of 125 million to 130 million represents growth of 12 to 16% year over year. Our plan reflects a disciplined approach towards spending while still affording us the ability to invest and grow our business. While there are a number of unknowns that could impact our total revenue for the year, we believe this range is appropriate. We're building towards leverage relative to our unit guidance that represents approximately 16% year-over-year growth for the company-operated business and 14 to 16% for our licensed business. We expect approximately $17 million of equity-based compensation expense with about $15.5 million in GNA. We expect full-year depreciation of 86 to 91 million dollars and pre-opening of 17 to 19 million. On tax, we're not going to provide an adjusted pro forma tax rate guidance at this time. However, we're expecting to realize a minimal tax benefit this year. Our overall tax rate will be impacted by a number of factors, including the level of our profitability, tax credits, state mix, and other impacts. So, thank you for your time. And with that, I'll turn it back to Randy. Thanks, Katie. Just want to wrap things up and thank all of our teams for executing in 2022 and evolving for the work ahead in 2023. We're all squarely focused on our strategic plan, which begins with taking care of our team. That's what fuels our great culture. We believe our results from the fourth quarter are showing what our focus and dedication can do to help drive continued improvement in our business and longer-term returns. As we all seek out what the new normal looks like in a post-pandemic 2023, We believe more than ever that people need places to gather, great food at the right price, served by warm and hospitable people. And we'll look forward to sharing a white truffle burger with you soon at the shack. As always, uh, we hope you and your family stay safe and healthy. With that, operator, please go ahead and open the call for questions. Thank you. We will now be conducting a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. 
A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you'd like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. We request to please restrict questions to one and one follow-up. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Take a first question from the lineup, Lauren Silberman with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Um, this is my first one. On new classes of shacks, historically, shacks have opened at high volumes of the honeymoon period and then settle. Have you been seeing the same trend with your newer classes of shacks, recognizing there's a lot of noise in there, to try to understand if you're getting to a stage where there's less of a honeymoon period? Thanks, Lauren. It's a great question because that's obviously been such a big dynamic of both our comp and just in general the big pop. I think the answer is yes in a lot of places still and no in others. Uh, so generally the way we think about it is in a really mature market like let's say New York City or Los Angeles or some of the places where we have quite a few shacks built out, generally you don't see the same like huge pop and then come down. You just kind of start to see better better kind of run rate at, at out of the gate, and we've seen that kind of sticking. But there's so many places that we still haven't gone, even if it's a, a, a tangential part of uh, a neighborhood where we already are. Um, I'll give you an example from last week. We just opened in Dublin, Ohio, right? We have a number of shacks in Ohio already. But Dublin's kind of far enough away that there's a lot of people in that neighborhood who were coming out in that first you know week or so to really check it out. That'll probably level off over time. So I think the way the best way to think about it when you think about our roughly 40 shacks this year is if they are kind of new, far enough neighborhoods and or launch markets, we generally will see that Shake Shack trend of a big pop that then settles uh, over time and, and then we believe rises uh, over time. If it's something that is a mature market, unlikely to see the same dynamic. Very helpful. And then just a follow-up on your commentary around opportunities with build costs. Can you expand on where you might see potential cost outs, just given the uniqueness of your site? Are there opportunities for more standardized images, or how are you thinking about that? Thank you. Definitely. Uh, it, thank you a lot of ways. First of all, we will see where the inflationary environment goes. Um, we're still living in a very highly elevated construction environment around the country, and we know that everyone's experiencing that. So that'll be something that the macro environment will, will tell us where that heads. Hopefully we'll get some wins there. Uh, on the proactive side of what we're doing, with each of these formats, we're continuing to try to make them more standardized, more templated, uh, better prototypes. Uh, in some cases, just kind of leveling down the size of things. Uh, drive-through is probably the best example, right? That first roughly 20-plus drive-throughs, I mean, we got out of the gate with a big investment doing kind of a little bit of everything so that we can learn what we like best. Now, as we learn that and we start to design our drive-throughs for 2024 and 2025, we expect we can really start to templatize that a lot better and bring down some of those costs. The same is true for small formats. The same is true for our core shacks, which is mostly what we build. So, um, we're, and we're also looking at different kinds of deals there, right? We, we may employ a couple build-to-suit type deals that are a lot lower construction costs, um, do some of those. We may do some more small format to lower the average total. Uh, and, and it's really one of the most important focuses of the company right now. Uh, and, again, we've, we're in this elevated environment. We don't expect to reap those rewards this year, 
But as we look ahead towards the long term and, and building back our return profile over time, we think we've got a lot of opportunity in how we build our restaurants, design them, and get more efficient for the long term. Thank you very much. Thank you. We take next question from the line of Mike Thomas with Oppenheimer and Co. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, I know you're not giving, you know, exact margin guidance for the full year in 23, but as a group of analysts, consensus has you guys expanding margins quite a bit versus 22, which would be pretty unique in the space. So I know you gave guidance for mid to high single digit cog inflation, mid single digit labor inflation. But, you know, if you think about how you guys are modeling your business internally for sales and costs, do you just sort of qualitatively think that you can expand margins in 23 versus 22? Uh, thanks for the question. You know, we haven't given guidance for the full year. Um, how I would say about where our efforts are, are focused here, it really is to expand our margins. Again, not saying it's for a particular year, but we are building up to, you know, continue to build on the progression that we had in the fourth quarter. And it's really a focus on four, you know, four key tasks here. So one, it's on our sales and building back our sales with a focus on driving those sales in our own channels where we're most profitable. Kiosk sales are our most profitable across our entire mix, but, you know, in check, we'll, we'll take that too. Um, and certainly what we saw, you know, as, as being a big margin pressure to us um, kind of at the onset of the pandemic was a lot of our sales moving, you know, to digital channels as they come back more in check. That's a margin um, tailwind for us. And just really investing overall um, through marketing and other um, strategies to just grow brand awareness and continue to build, build our sales overall as a company. So the second thing is on our um, strategic approach to menu pricing, which, you know, we've talked about before. We are running, you know, expect to run about high single digits um, of price throughout the first part of this year. And, you know, we haven't talked about any new um, addition, you know, potential to raise prices to offset inflationary pressures. But, you know, we are watching, we are watching beef in particular, you know, if that does start to pick up a little bit um, here, you know, another price increase, very small, could be on the table. Um, we're looking to be more um, efficient as well with labor. And so it's about, you know, building efficiencies with our current team members. We've hired a lot of people very recently, investing to train and optimize our teams, grow our hours, making sure our staffs are fully, uh, uh, our shacks are fully staffed and open and so we can maximize sales. And then, you know, again, back to kiosk, it's about making sure that we're giving our operators tools that they, you know, can use to be just more efficient in the shacks. Um, and then, and, you know, kind of the, the final uh, focus here is on our off-premise profitability. So we do charge a premium through third-party delivery, um, but we've done a lot of work also to help refine our standards for packaging on off-premise orders. Randy talked about the packaging test that we're going to be trying out um, this year. I'd really look there as, you know, another example of a potential opportunity. Okay, thank you. And then I uh, just wanted to follow up on the commentary about some of the new store designs and being more efficient with drive-throughs. Um, you know, I think Randy just mentioned in 24 and 25 relative to the ones that are already in the ground. So when you think about, like, what are some of those big changes that we can expect to see? And are they more like guest-facing or are they more sort of like back-of-house and operations? Thanks. It's a little bit of both. It's really about how we build it, even from the the, the skeleton on out, right? Um everything from whether you use steel or wood construction, how our windows and things work. Uh, some of those things the guest will note, but in a positive way, we think. Um, and it's really about us saying, okay, w we built these, this first group of 20 roughly with some varied kitchen designs, some varied flow, 
how how do how many um, lanes do we need and how will the tech work all of those things we really needed to as i've said in previous calls optimize for learning we wanted to spend there now as we get in the ground and we understand how these things work um you know we got to make sure that we can standardize more and more elements of that but still keeping the unique and powerful aspects that make shake shack i i'm we're pretty confident that when you go to a shake shack drive through you go through there and you say this is really cool. It's different. This makes sense to me, and I understand the continued elevated uh, proposition that Shake Shack always brings in our design. Um, we're also learning the right size, right? When you learn, we've we've noted before, it depends on the drive-through, but roughly half of our sales at drive-through are in the shack. We really like that, so we got to figure out how many seats do we need inside and out. What type of atmosphere are we building? And and we're clearly building. Shake Shack drive-through to be a community gathering place as well. Um, it, we are not just building a drive around and leave only option at this stage. We may try that someday, um, but today we're focused on kind of allowing our guests to choose whatever channel they really like. Uh, and we believe that's part of it. So look, a lot of work to do on that. I think uh, we'll have lots of different versions that we're going to test and learn from, but you know, we're really targeting the efficiency of our of our builds as we look forward. Awesome, thank you. Thank you. We take next question from the line of Sharon Zakfia with William Blair. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, I apologize if you talked about this. My cell phone dropped in the middle of your comments, but I think I heard you say, Katie, that your staffing is getting better but still isn't kind of fully optimal. Can you give any kind of framework around like where you are relative to ideal staffing, maybe currently versus the fourth quarter, you know, where you are on hours of operation across all channels? And then on the drive through I'm just curious whether you're seeing that bring in new customers or if it's really more a function of increasing the accessibility and the frequency of your existing guests. Thank you. Uh, uh, thanks, Sharon. On people, it's certainly gotten better over the last few months, but it's still hard. Um, let's be clear. We we wish we were fully staffed everywhere. We're not. There are some restaurants that feel great all the time, and there are some that it's still really hard to optimize our teams and feel fully staffed. But we feel certainly a, a heck of a lot better than we did 12 months ago when it was probably at its most challenging environment right now. Uh, we're feeling better than we were three months ago. Um, but we still have work to do. And I think uh, a combination of all the things we do for our people, raising wages, now including tips, uh, uh, added benefits, development opportunities, all the things we're doing to really highlight this as a great career choice for people, uh, it, it's working and it's still tough. So we'll, we'll, on hours, you know, we've been able to expand some of that over this over the fourth quarter. Uh, there's some of that that we still have opportunity in certain shacks and somewhere we, we want to decide if we can push a little bit. And, and a little bit of that is going to be how the world continues to move around and where we think that optimal hours can really be for a shack. So we think there's still some opportunity there. Um, and on drive-through guests, I think, the, I think we're learning is the answer. We are seeing omni-channel use. I think the, the, what we see is the most valuable Shake Shack guests is an omni-channel guest that uses us in all channels. That drive-through, that that is included as well. And what we're trying to figure out here is, can we get people to come more often because of the convenience, because of it? Uh, we're getting 
pretty high experience scores from people who go through the drive-through, and we really like what we see there. So a little early to say on any any real data there, but we think it opens up new areas. It opens up the total addressable market for our real estate team and uh, new opportunities to meet guests in a way where they want to be met. Thank you. Uh, Sharon, do you have any further questions? You have a follow-up? Uh, no, thank you. Thank you. We take next question from the line of Jake Bartlett with Truist Securities. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks for taking the question. Um, my first was, and these are follow-ups on, on the questions about margins, but my first is there was some, some kind of abnormal or elevated costs in 22, like repair and maintenance, like the, the T&E, as, as you kind of exi existing staff had to go help open stores and stick around. So the question is, how much in 22 was abnormal that we can expect maybe to go away so we can provide a, a boost in, in 23? And then I, I also just bigger picture on the margin um, side. It you, you, you sounds like you're very focused on building margins, um, but I'm wondering whether there's some bigger – you know, initiatives going on. You know, we, we have companies that are, you know, 50 years old and they're still getting, you know, 30 basis points of, of savings here and there. Um, others are doing, you know, time motion studies, really taking a look at, you know, operations and whether it can be really materially improved. So I'm wondering whether that's going on, whether you're kind of, look, you know, thinking, thinking kind of big as well, um, you know, as you think about um, building up margins. Great. Yeah. So we did um, last quarter, we called out pressures um, around a couple of items um, that were impacting us. So first of all, it was um, higher R&M. Um, equipment availability has you know, impacted our ability to open up restaurants, but also is impacting how quickly we can replace equipment inside the restaurants and we're having to service it where we normally might replace it. So that was a little bit of an overhang, um, higher t and &E expenses to help support team members and um, higher utilities costs. You know, the good news is that our teams did a good job managing that um, in the fourth quarter, but it was still higher than average levels. Um, and, you know, we're, we're continuing to focus on ways to um, bring that down overall. Um, T&E, you know, to support shack openings, that's also going to be a function of the number of shacks that we open up in a specific quarter, especially if there's overlap in certain markets. So kind of aiming towards having a more smoothed out um, development year would help on that side. Um, and then on utilities, just really kind of the broader commodity um, landscape is, is a key driver on that. Um, but to your question about, you know, if we have any specific plans in place, I would say yes, um, you know, and we, we've tried to outline those um, in, in the shareholder letter and on the call. Um, we are taking a, a very, you know, let's say across, you know, driving sales, um, labor efficiencies, training our team members, um, all of that is definitely part of, of the focus here. Okay. Um yeah, I, I guess I'm you know, on that point. Just on, on the kind of the, the efficiencies. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering whether there's a, a, whether you're looking at doing things really materially different, like a real you know, concerted effort to. You've been obviously growing faster, a young, you know, concept. Um, and I would think there's a lot of opportunity, you know, to to maybe you know just do things more efficiently um, in the kitchen. But you know, but, but um, and wondering whether that's a concerted effort. Um, so so that that's just a, one question there. The other is on. The food cost outlook, and I just want to better understand. I think you know most investors, and you know myself, were, were, were more focused on beef as being a risk 
beats it actually on your outlook pretty good, you know, flat to, to mid-single digits, yet other things are driving the, the, the inflation that you're seeing. So what is the visibility on those other items? Um, trying to figure out what, what the big pieces that we should be looking at to kind of gauge whether you're on track to, to, to hit the guidance or, or not, um, whether it's um, dairy or, or, or poultry or any other big items we should be really tracking there. Yeah, um, so, you know, we had a pretty inflationary year for beef um, in general. It's It's been kind of a pressure for us for a while. So, you know, calling for a flat to up uh, mid-single-digit inflation on that side, that does reflect a pickup in, in beef prices overall for the year. Um, certainly, we'll we'll have to see how, how the year plays out and if it ends up being more extreme or less extreme than that. But, you know, we are factoring in a degree of, of beef inflation in our outlook. Um, and then the other things to, to keep an eye on, it is chicken, it is dairy, it is fries, fryer oil. Like, you know, we, we've called out a lot of these, you know, big uh, drivers um, here of our COGS that are seeing, you know, pretty material pickups here. Um, and we don't contract on a lot of it. Um, and so, you know, that, that would be kind of how I would think about the inflationary, you know, cadence for the year. Thank you very much. Thank you. We take next question from the lineup. Peter Sale with BTIG. Please go ahead. <clears throat> Great. Thanks for taking the question. Um, Randy, I think you mentioned this a couple times on the, the tipping that's been implemented. <clears throat> Can you talk about the consumer response uh, to the tipping, you know, maybe <clears throat> parsing it out urban versus suburban or just how often you're seeing consumers actually tip uh, <clears throat> the employees? Thanks, Peter. Yeah, we're not going to break out any of the urban, suburban, or, or data on that other than to say since the beginning of Shake Shack you know, 20 years ago, people have asked us if they could add a little extra something for our team, and we always said no. And uh, this year we've said yes, and I think the beauty of the way we've done it is it's not in your face. We don't start with this 20 25% expectation like many restaurants do, and you, you have this kind of moment as a consumer where you're like, whoa, 20 25%, that's a lot. You know, um, we make it very uh, on your side, and if you would like to do that, great. And we're happy to see how many people are doing it, and there's a lot of people who don't, and that's cool too. Uh, this is really uh, an optionality feature that if you really want to take care of our team and feel like it and you want to give a little something, uh, a buck or two or 10% or whatever, uh, that can work. And it's it's making material impact for our team. You know, uh, in some cases, it's 2 $3 more per hour that our teams can make thanks to a percentage of people who are, who are tipping. So we're hopeful that that's a continued strategy that will help us um, find the right overall wages for our team to take care of them and hopefully have people be retained and, and allow our guests to, to feel good about it. And it's like we always say, it's, you, we all experience this when you go to a coffee shop or anything else. If you don't want a tip, that's totally cool. And uh, we appreciate that. And, and we're never going to have a pressure-filled environment to try to make that work. It should feel great to, to both sides of the equation. <clears throat> Thank you. That was very helpful. Uh, just on kind of staying on labor for a second, Katie, I think the last time we spoke, you had mentioned that it was maybe a little bit more challenging to <clears throat> staff some of the suburban versus the urban lately. <clears throat> have you guys seen any improvement on that front, um, <clears throat> just the staffing between those two, uh, uh, suburban and urban? Yeah, I mean, we are still, you know, seeing, as Randy talked about, there are still an opportunity to, you know, regain our sales here from focusing on staffing. 
Um, we had some success in some suburban shacks in the quarter uh, and really kind of exiting the quarter, you know, started to get on a stronger footing with some, but, you know, there's still opportunity in others. And a lot of the trends that we talked about still hold. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Thank you. We take next question from the line of Andrew Charles with Cohen and Company. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you. Randy, you guys seem open-minded about taking more price in 2023, as you mentioned, with the prices that you know, potentially could revert higher later this year. Can you talk about what gives you confidence that you guys have further pricing power, just given well-documented trade down across the fast casual industry and the quick service? Yeah, I think it's something we got to be cautious about, and we're watching very closely, as every company is. Um, we've we've probably taken less prices than uh, many others, certainly of our of our competitors in fast casual and even fast food as a percentage over this last few years. I think we've been more cautious, and we want to remain that way. That that's true to every way we thought about Shake Shack since the beginning of time here. Um, yet we have to make sure we protect our margins. So again, sitting here today in February, we have no plan uh, to take new price. We're, we'll look at something, you know, as we see how inflationary pressures do or do not continue to persist at high levels. Um, we expect they're going to persist at some level here this year, but I don't think anybody knows, and we got to make sure that we're providing the great value that we always have. We also got to lean into all the strategic planning that we talked about today, making sure we're executing on our operations, the hospitality, the, and the, the premium uh, nature of Shake Jack that provides good value. So it'll be something we watch. I think if we look at the evidence so far, we feel pretty good about the trends that we see generally in our average order values and our um, items per check and the kind of things that we track to look at how people are, are looking at it. Our value scores overall have been very consistent. Um, but I think it's everyone's living in a pressured inflationary environment, and we got to be there. Who are we not going to be? We're not going to be massive discounting, fast food, giant – uh, things like that. We're going to lean into ingredients. I mean, we're literally uh, right now running a luxury ingredient of white truffle. And when you think about our strategy of who Shake Shack is, we want to capture that trade down and that person who says, you know what, for $9.99 or less, I can get a white truffle burger that I could never get at any fast food type restaurant. While that's an elevated experience for that style it's a great value and continues to position us as, I think, the leader in the, that affordable opportunity to just have something great. So that, that's, that's who we intend to continue to be, and we'll see how the year goes, and we'll let you know if we change our mind on price anytime soon. Just also, as, you know, a reminder, you know, we over-index to higher-income consumers, um, and we're generally seeing, you know, pretty good trends um, from that group as well. So it, it, it's just also something to keep in mind. That's helpful. And then, um, Katie, you know, beef guidance for the year, flat to mid-single digit guidance, so obviously a very wide range, just anticipating a certain backdrop. You know, curious, though, um, you know, you mentioned that you guys aren't seeing any uh, inflation yet or any um, inflation on a come, but can you just help us with the guidance? You know, is it fair to say that conversations with vendors would suggest that you guys would be closer to flat and, and that mid-single digit would perhaps be just some conservatism baked in? Just going to just understand the, uh, the beef guidance just a bit more yeah. for the year. I mean, we, you know, just as you look at the difference between the first quarter and the full year, we're guiding for the first quarter to be down mid-single digits. So just that alone would just imply that we are, you know, baked into that guidance range is a pickup 
um, you know, in beef prices in the back half of the year. You know, we, again, don't contract on beef. We are, you know, both talking to our vendors and hearing what they're saying and also, you know, triangulating that with, you know, broader industry um, and analyst you know, expectations. So, you know, there is a wider range of uncertainty around that, as, as we've definitely been clear about. That's helpful. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We take next question from the lineup. David Tarantino with Baird. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, Katie, I had a question about CapEx. Um, I think the, the final number for 2022 came in quite above what we would have been anticipating at the beginning of the year. So I was wondering if you could maybe break down yep. where some of the increases came from, and, and, uh, and then I have a follow-up. Sure. I mean, I, when you boil it down, it's really to, you know, we are much more ahead on our development calendar um, than we were last year. And so we just talked about we have 24 shacks right now under construction. And at the end of um, last year, we had, you know, a number more. and We opened up a lot in the quarter. So I think what you're seeing on that side is just us having a lot more investment in our pipeline than we were at this time last year. We also have some, you know, pickup in investments in um, IT and in digital, but the the big chunk of that is is really around that. And then, you know, we also had some um, added investments as we rolled out kiosks to um, all, you know, we're rolling out kiosks to a larger part of our shacks. Great. And then I guess the follow up is, if you know, if you're willing, um, is is that a good number to maybe think about going forward, or or will it? come down given that some of that investment might have been temporary and then I guess bigger picture as you think about how the the business scales over the next several years do you have a, a year in mind where you might get to kind of break even on free cash flow or, or positive on free cash flow yeah we're not going to be talking about you know any any guidance on that point because we haven't given anything um, but what we are focused on is building, you know, we're bringing down our build costs overall um, for our shacks um, and really having, you know, a, a disciplined approach to capital investments and to GNA. Um, and that, you know, inclusive of also building back our profitability, you know, we feel like we're on a really good um, path here. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We take next question from the lineup. Jim Sanderson with North Coast Research. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks for the question. I wanted to talk a little bit more about store profit margin a longer term. If you can maybe give us your thoughts on how you look at flow through profit margin as you make these uh, improvements, especially in labor, adding some technology into the store with the kiosks. So maybe there's an opportunity to see a basis point improvement in store margin going forward as you drive stronger AURs, let's say over the next year or two, just how we should look at that as far as flow through profit margin. I think that's you know, definitely a very good way to be looking at it. You know, certainly when we're b building up our, our SLAP, you know, initiatives to bring back our profitability, you know, that is, you know, we, we start with sales. We start with sales in our own channel, but really driving sales overall for exactly this point. You know, there's going to be a number of, of factors, though, that impact that, um, including um, our overall channel mix. Um, so, you know, nothing really to share at this point, but we do believe that sales will, will be a strong contributor to our overall profitability improvement. Okay. Just a quick follow-up. Any thoughts on how your uh, maybe budgeted labor hours for comp stores, how that's uh, changing? Um, are you Is it starting to lag sales growth, anything like that? 
Well, I think it's really just budget to meet demand, how busy we think we can be. I think we're getting better than ever at the technology we use uh, and the way that we both take care of our team and budget for trying to meet peak demand and try not to be overstaffed during the lighter times of the day. Um, so that's a, that's an ongoing journey, Jim. It always will be. Um, but I don't think there's any real new data to say other than, you know, we, I think the team did a really nice job in the fourth quarter. We'll be pressured a little bit in the first quarter, as we named, with the 22 new shacks that really just opened heading into that. So um, they will probably be tighter, as we talked about in the in the first quarter. And we've got to we've got to do the work to level all that out as we go through 2020. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. We take next question from the line of Rahul Krotapalli with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Thanks for squeezing me in. Um, I just wanted to focus a little bit more on the margin side here. Uh, is there a significant gap between your highest and the lowest margin stores? And other than sales, what are the, what are the things that the higher margin stores are doing that the lower margin stores can uh, readily like? Uh, can, can be shared with them, and is there is like something like a manager comp uh, changes can be more focused on uh, on these addressable margin opportunities between the higher and the lower margin stores. That's a, a great question. You know, we do have a um, a range of margin performance within our base, um, and you know, if I was to kind of classify like where are our strongest shacks, it's probably you know the ones that have the highest sales. We have, you know, a, a great group of shacks that have very, very strong sales. And when you have great sales, you can leverage your rent, you can leverage your occupancy. And so, you know, those tend to be, you know, the best, um, the best performers. Um, you can also, you know, really great, get great labor levels as well. Um, and you can kind of leverage a lot of the fixed costs. You know, where we have opportunity to improve and where we've been focused is in, you know, the shacks that have a little bit of lower sales um, and how we can kind of bring those back up. Um, and, you know, that, that's kind of a lot of the work that's been going on right now. Um, kiosk is one example, though, broadly of a strategy that we're using to help kind of improve labor throughput overall. Um, so instead of having, you know, two to three, maybe four people taking orders, depending on how busy the, the shack is, you were able to then redeploy that labor um, and have people just go to the kiosk uh, when they come in the shack. So that's how we would think about it. Um, there's obviously, you know, you know, areas where, you know, certain shacks can improve and, uh, you know, areas where other shacks are doing exceptionally well. But if you're kind of looking at the biggest driver overall, it's, it's, it's likely sales. Uh, is there like anything on the manager comp side at this point that that you can tweak or adjust to address a part of this? Uh... Well, I think on the manager comp side, we we first of all we have competitive pay, which is what's most important, so that we can have a, a solid retention, which we do at our manager level and GM level. We feel good about that. But you're right to say that managers are highly incentivized on their bonuses. Um, by month and by quarter to hit their targets. And those targets vary based on what kind of shack you're in. Uh, we set aggressive targets. We constantly reset them. And uh, and we feel really good about people's viewpoint into what they need to do to earn their bonus. Our GMs are also shareholders, right? All of our GMs get a $10,000 per year Shake Shack stock grant. 
And we feel really good about that. And that incentivizes them to act like entrepreneurs and want to see this stay for the long term and, uh, and want to see the company succeed overall. So we feel good like we have, like we have the, the right compensation mindset uh, at the shack level. Thanks for the color on that, Randy. Uh, and just like to follow up on uh, GNDA side, like in the marketing specifically, uh, what, what, what kind of spend are you planning for next year and like going forward? Like how can uh, that be? Uh, how would it look like? Well, we haven't. We don't break it out in the GNA. Um, but when you look at marketing, I, I noted in some of my comments, we continue to invest. Uh, deeply in a few main categories, um, targeted performance marketing when it makes sense and where the um, the cost to acquire and and get guests is is really a low cost. We think we do that real well. Um, we're spending more money and time thinking about as we scale and grow. Um, you know, we're not probably big enough yet. You would see a you know mass media campaign at this stage. You know, uh, but. At some point, we'll get there too. But so we're we're investing in trials of that sort of uh, localized brand media campaign in lots of different media channels, uh, and then localized marketing as our community managers, our uh, regional marketing leaders, and ops leaders do various things to support their local communities. So those three buckets are where you will see the main marketing spend into this year. We feel really good about the budget we have at the scale that we have. We, we've always had a brand that can lead for us, and we've got to keep ramping up that investment over the coming years as we scale and get to a point where we have more shack doors to take in those sales uh, to benefit from some of those marketing efforts. Understood. Thanks for the color, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. We take the last question from the line of Brian Harbour with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Yeah, thank, thank you. Good morning. Um, I just want to ask about the mobile app first, maybe, and um, if you're still seeing kind of increasing usage of, of mobile ordering and, and what that looks like as a, as a percent of sales today. And I would think that that's a fairly attractive margin order, and it probably kind of helps you with throughput. So how does kind of leaning into the mobile app factor into – you know, some of the margin improvement that you're targeting. Yeah, definitely leading into it, continue to have for the last few years quite a bit. We also feel like we've got a lot of that investment in there right now, and now it's about continuing to just improve uh, pieces of the experience so that it's consistent, reliable, and something we can rely on all day. We're not going to break out the numbers. Um, we don't break out the difference between that and our third party and all of the web channels, everything we do. Um, but we are, you know, really proud of the overall digital business. Um, we do things like drive engagement and downloads. When we launched our white truffle menu last week, we launched that in the app only. Um, we also have done a little bit more campaign of delivery through our app. Uh, margins on that are strong uh, comparatively to straight third parties. So there's a lot of ways that we're continuing to focus on the app. We love it. It's a significant part of our business. We see solid frequency usage there, and you'll see us continue to invest. Okay, great, thanks. And um, just on the suburban stores, obviously you've seen those moderate a little bit from a same-store sales perspective, but maybe talk about you know, what's kind of key to continuing to drive those sales 
you know, are those better staffed? Are they worse staffed? Um, you know, what else could kind of help drive some of the suburban storage? Yeah, um, Brian, hi. So I would say, you know, we continue to do better at staffing in our urban markets than in our suburban. And, you know, we see potential to recapture some sales um, in suburban markets just due to, to better staffing levels. Um, and then also, you know, there's a couple other added dynamics really in suburban just to be mindful of. So first of all, you know, some of our suburban um, locations are, are in malls. Um, are around malls, are, you know, near outlet centers and, and whatnot. And so, you know, ebbs and flows of consumer behavior of going to malls or not going to malls or going to outlet centers or not going to outlet centers, that can kind of swing that around. Um, and then just, you know, frankly, look, these our suburban shacks massively outperformed our urban shacks throughout COVID. And so, you know, there's likely to be a little bit of, of shift as, you know, people go back to three days a week in the cities or four days a week in the cities, however that lands. Um, you know, we're expecting to see a little bit of, of share shift, you know, kind of between suburban and urban um, around the fringes. Um, but these restaurants, you know, we're, we're really pleased with how they're performing um, and continuing to hold on their same store sales strength, even as urban recovers. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of the question and answer session, and I'd like to turn the floor back over to Randy Garuti. CEO for closing remarks. Over to you, sir. Thanks so much, everybody. Really appreciate your time this morning and look forward to seeing you soon at the shack. Take care. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's teleconference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.